0: This is episode 162 for our new runners, where my content assistant Anya and I answer nearly 20 questions about how to start running. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm Jason Fitzgerald, your host today, and the coach and author behind Strength Running, Running has been a major part of my life for more than 20 years, and my goal with Strength Running is to help you avoid the mistakes that I made in my own career, and to give you the tools, the strategies, and the resources to accomplish all of your big goals. Whether that might be running your first race ever, to building mental toughness, preventing your next injury, or becoming a more coordinated athlete, I bring you the leaders in the running industry. The pro coaches, performance experts, elite runners, sports psychologists, physical therapists, and strength coaches who can give you new insights into how to train so you can keep improving. I want you to better understand running, to view knowledge as a competitive advantage, and to always have the tools to take your running to the next level. Because the more you understand the sport, the better decisions you'll make about your training. Don't miss our other 161 episodes of the podcast, our video channel at youtube.com slash strengthrunning, or where it all began, strengthrunning.com, where you can find all of our training programs that will help you prevent injuries, run faster, develop mental skills, or become a stronger, more powerful athlete. Now, before we get started, I want to encourage you all to check out our sponsor, Path Projects, if you're in need of some high-quality, affordable running gear. I'm wearing the Sykes 5-inch shorts on the regular, and the baseliners are the most comfortable I've ever worn. Go to pathprojects.com to see all of their running gear. This episode features my content specialist, Anya Mullen, who you were introduced to in episode 154. She came to me recently and proposed doing an episode of Q&A, targeted to beginner runners. She's been on the receiving end recently of a variety of running questions from her friends and family, and I thought this was going to be a good opportunity to help all of the new runners in our community. So you'll hear us talk through almost 20 different running questions about how to get started, different training strategies, nutrition, fueling and hydration, the mental side of running, and a lot more. And if you're a new runner who wants even more of this type of Q&A, go to strengthrunning.com slash new to get our best beginner runner advice. And even if you're not a new runner, I think you'll get value from hearing these questions and answers and gaining even more insight into the sport of running. Without further delay, let's get started on beginner Q&A with Anya. Hey, Anya, welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited to talk to you all about Beginner running and how we can get started on the right foot. Sorry for that running pun, but <laughs> we have compiled a list of, I think, almost 20 different questions that have come in on social media that you yourself have heard from your friends and family. So, this is one of those great episodes that is completely crowdsourced from the broader running community. So, I love this. It's not really an expert interview or anything like that. But we're here just to help those of us who are beginners, who are just getting started in the sport, the information they need to avoid some big mistakes and get started uh, on the right track. Running pun number two. I'm on a roll today, Anya.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Sounds good, Jason. I'm excited to do this episode. And I, I think it'll be a great starting point for a lot of runners who are either just entering into the sport or are looking to take it to the next level. And I think these questions are really great and will be um, pretty informative for everybody.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to jump in. And I should probably mention, too, that I just remember this. If listeners go to strengthrunning.com new, in other words, if you are a new runner, then we have a beginner-friendly course that you can sign up for that goes into even more detail on exactly how to get started. There's case studies, mistakes to avoid, you know, examples of some really beneficial mindsets and routines and workouts that you can get started with, and that's at strengthrunning.com slash new. But let's get started right now on our questions. So we've divided these questions up into five different categories of general how to start questions, racing and training strategy questions, fueling and nutrition, performance and improvement, and then finally, the mental side of running. So let's start a little bit more general with those beginning how to start questions. Which one do you want to tackle first?
1: Yeah, so the very basic one, I want to be a runner. Where should I start?
0: Oh, wow. We're starting broad. We're starting big. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Where do you start? Let's say you want to go for a run. You've never gone for a run before. Uh, I think it's beneficial first to just see how running feels. And if you're just getting started, you're about to go on your first run ever. There's a couple of things you have to know. First of all, you really can't go too slow. Just experiment with pace and see how it feels. Don't think you have to run fast. And the other thing too is, You know, let's incorporate walking right from the beginning, especially if, you know, you don't have a lot of experience playing other sports, if you don't have a history of being an athlete, if this is something that you're starting as a completely new athlete, you know, you're just getting into exercise and you want to start becoming a runner. Let's build in some walk breaks. You you can do something like, I'm going to run really easy at a very comfortable effort for 30 seconds and then just see how it feels. And, I'm recommending this because I think those early weeks and months of being a runner is really a great time for exploration and discovery and finding out what you're physically capable of, finding out what you're physically not capable of. And part of that is just going out there and trying to run for a little while, see how it feels. Uh, Just be kind to yourself. Don't think you have to run very fast. Don't think you have to run continuously. You can certainly incorporate walking breaks uh, but I think it really is that simple. Now, of course, we can talk about shoes. I don't get too crazy about running shoes. I think if you go to a, a local running store or you go to a good online running store and you order a pair of shoes and they feel good when you're wearing them, then you've found the right pair of shoes for you. We don't need the wet foot test or you don't need to run on a treadmill and have someone analyze your form. Just find a pair of running shoes that are comfortable comfortable. And you're off to the races. So, uh, Anya, you've started running later than I did. So I'm curious, you know, what were the things that you were curious about when you just started? What were the big issues that I might be missing? Because I think the big value in having you here is that you're going to keep me honest. I <laughs> I haven't been a beginner runner in more than 21 years, and you know, this is a, a good opportunity for me to get back down to those basics and some of those fundamentals.
1: For me, when I started running, I remember focusing on shoes because I think it was more of the marketing noise and less of a personal concern. We've Most of us have gone to the gym, even PE class in school. You wear some sort of shoes and they work just fine. So, I I think I was a little bit misguided there. But my uh, big concern was how far do I go? How long? And I most certainly did not want to stop to walk because if I was walking, I didn't feel like I went for a run. So, I am really glad you started off with that permission. I completely agree. I think you even take um professionals now in an ultra everybody's walking it is no big deal you're moving you are um heading towards that faster gate and that's what's important um so i i agree with your message skip the gear for now it's fun to focus on later um and see what you're enjoying but i'm curious at this point um since I'm at the gym a lot, I'm I'm wondering: is there an advantage to starting out on a treadmill versus outside? Just because um, maybe by the time I'm ready to turn around, I'm a mile away from home, and coming back for a mile for a new runner is a big deal. Whereas the treadmill, I can just hop off. Or what would you suggest?
0: Yeah, the treadmill is a really good training tool. In that, you know, like if you're injured, for example and you need to stop running because something starts to hurt, you can stop immediately, and you know, you're know you not miles from your house. So there's that convenience factor that I think can be helpful for new runners who might not be sure how long they're going. They don't want to be stranded far from their house. So I, I, I do think a treadmill can be uh, very helpful there. The one area where a treadmill might be confusing is that, you know, what pace do you put the treadmill at? Whereas when you're outside, you can just start running and and calibrate it very easily. You can slow down a little bit. You can speed up a little bit. You can really feel what is most comfortable for you. And if you're on a treadmill, sometimes you feel almost like uh you know you're beholden to the pace that's on the treadmill. You know if you get it down to say 10 minutes a mile, you don't want to make that slower because then that feels you know there's a psychological component to that. And I, I do think the very even surface of the treadmill. And the fact that it is kind of boring does make it not only just boring, but a slight injury risk too. So I would always recommend runners go outside. I think a treadmill is convenient. Uh, I think there's a certain amount of control that you have on a treadmill, but because the early months of a runner's career is such a great process of discovery and exploration. You know, you kind of have to discover and explore things for yourself out there on the road, on the trail, on the dirt path, wherever you might be running. And the treadmill sometimes takes some of that discovery away from you. And so for that reason, I like to reserve the treadmill for when you have a little bit more experience and you know how to use the treadmill and what paces to put it at, or if you're doing a very specific workout where you need to run certain paces, but that can come later once you've developed some competence, just running normally
1: that makes a lot of sense and uh along with what you said i think i would throw out there to skip the high tech gadgets as far as gps watch uh similar to what you said about the treadmill watching your pace your heart rate in the first months it's only removing you from that feeling and that's what we really want to develop is giving your body a sense of what's comfortable what's enjoyable Um, so I, I would just suggest to skip those because as, um, as we talked about in our previous podcast together, I came to running through the world of triathlons. So I was already hooked up to all the heart rate monitor straps and everything. Um, so I feel like I, I didn't give myself the proper start that I would suggest to somebody else who is looking to get started.
0: Yeah. And you, if you're a beginner, you don't need to worry about your vertical oscillation rate and how much vert you're covering in a week and whether or not your stride is slightly asymmetrical. You know, those kinds of in the weeds metrics, you can play with those once you have developed some experience with the sport. So we certainly don't need to get too lost in in those kinds of nitty gritty details at first. Uh, I want to move to a, a great question that speaks to what running does to the body. And this question came in, it was, will running make me thinner or stronger? So my simple answer is yes, it will do both because running is a great calorie burning form of exercise and running does require strength and you'll certainly get stronger by, uh, by running a lot. You know, if you just think, you know, what does it take to go run 10 miles? Or what does it take to run a fast mile? Well, it takes a certain amount of strength and power. And so, you know, you certainly can develop more strength by lifting weights. That's the more direct route to strength, but you will get stronger uh, being a runner.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point to highlight on the benefits. And what about another basic question, stretching before or after running? Is it necessary? What kind of stretches do you recommend
0: Yeah, this is always a good question that people have. And particularly anybody who's like, you know, maybe 30 or older, because we grew up in gym class with the importance of stretching being like drilled into us. But the science is actually pretty clear. Static stretching offers no performance or injury prevention benefits. And you certainly don't want to do any static stretching before your run. It's not going to prepare you for a run. It doesn't warm you up. And it can actually reduce your performance and increase your injury risk. So if you do like stretching, if it feels good to you, then I would say, let's do some light static stretching at the very end of your workout for the day. So it's the final thing that you do before you you go take a shower and get changed. Um, Instead of stretching before a run, it's far more effective to do a dynamic warm up, which is actually going to warm you up. And a dynamic warm up is just a series of flexibility exercises, mobility work, and light strength exercises. Uh, at strengthrunning.com, we have a ton of different routines here. You can look up the standard warm up. You can also look up the Matic warm up. These are two warm up routines that take about ten minutes, maybe a little bit less, and they're designed to metabolically prime you for running. So that's what we should be doing after uh, the. Uh, that's what we should do before we go running. And then after running, we can do some, you know, some more strength work, extra mobility work. But if you don't want to stretch, if you don't like stretching, then you don't have to do it. I don't think I've done much static stretching for probably over a decade and I'm doing just fine. I think if the training is appropriate, then you're going to develop that mobility and the ability to move well. And so yeah, we don't really need stretching uh, unless you really like it, you enjoy it, then let's do it at the very end. So Anya, let's, let's move on to some more specific uh, race and training questions. So uh, these came in, we have four questions in this category. And um, our first one is all about, you know, how long should you plan to train for a half marathon or a marathon if your running has been kind of inconsistent, you've been running on and off. Um, let me ask you, Anya, first, because, you know, I, I have very specific thoughts on this, but I'm curious what you have to say. How much time do you usually plan for half marathon or marathon training when you're not coming off a huge base? You know, you, you've been a little bit inconsistent.
1: So honestly, the first place I start, there, there's two ways I go about it. The Mostly I start with your training plans. And if they say 16 weeks, 12 weeks, that is what um, I would plan for. Alternatively, I've come at races from uh, here's the goal race because of the destination or my friends are signed up for this local race. Again, I would go to your plans, look up how many weeks you would suggest and work my way backwards um, to a start date that hopefully isn't in the past. I have had those instances as well. Um, But I would start uh, with a solid plan and kind of uh, put the date on the calendar of what's the earliest that I could be ready for a half marathon or marathon.
0: I think another really good strategy for determining how long to train for a race is look at a couple training plans for either the half marathon or the marathon. Look at the plans and see what does the first week of the training plan look like? Does the first week look very intimidating? The long runs, you know, beyond what you're capable of, the mileage is too much, the workout looks intimidating, then that training plan is too advanced for you, or you're simply not ready to start it. So the best way to choose a training plan is to choose a plan where, you know, the beginning couple of weeks look very manageable to you. And then the middle of the training plan looks a little intimidating. And then you know the final couple weeks, maybe the last two or four weeks, look really hard. That's a good plan because you don't want to be training hard for three, four, five months at a stretch. You kind of need to build into it, have some recovery in there. And you can always look at a plan and see, okay, if this is a 12-week plan, and I would be comfortable with the first week of training, then you know. I know I can plan for just the number of weeks that are in that training plan, but you might need more time to get ready for the training plan itself. It's almost like you have to train for the training and that's very common in the marathon. You know, there's no couch to marathon program because that would just be inviting an overuse injury. So you kind of have to be in some decent shape first before you even start marathon training. But generally speaking, You can probably train for most races at the marathon or shorter in 20 weeks or less, provided you have some basic level of fitness.
1: A lot of friends I have who've embarked on the marathon training, uh, they, um, would look at the long run and say, I'm not sure what it would be, maybe six or seven miles. And they think, yeah, I could do it. I did five miles last weekend. Um, so, if the mileage on a given day looks reasonable, but the total weekly mileage is often much higher than people are running because uh, they're not running four or five days a week, do you follow the 10% rule that um, I often hear, or is that uh, kind of a loose guideline?
0: That's definitely a loose guideline. And the 10% rule does start to break down at certain levels. You know, if you're running like 10 miles a week or 15, 20 kilometers a week, then, you know, that rule is is super, super cautious and conservative. You could probably increase your mileage by more than that. But if you are looking at a training plan that, uh, you know, maybe the long run is completely manageable, you know, each individual run is very manageable, but the total mileage over the week is much more than what you've been doing, then I think it's a good idea to spend some time working on your consistency, just getting comfortable running four or five, maybe six days a week so that, uh, you know, maybe that means you cut the distance of a lot of those runs. So they're a lot shorter than what you're used to, but you're running more days per week. So ultimately the mileage is more. Um, I I think it would be a mistake to start a plan that, you know, had a long run that you might be comfortable with, but the mileage overall is like 20% more than what you're used to. That invites a situation where every run is going to feel good, but maybe after the first week, maybe after the second week, if you're going to start to feel really tired. You might feel more sore and your risk of an injury does go up substantially. So you should be comfortable with three things at the beginning of a training plan. You should be comfortable with the overall mileage. You should be comfortable with the long run distance. And you should be comfortable with the first workout of the training plan. If All of those things are not comfortable for you. If one or two or more are going to be a stretch, then you either need more time to get ready for the plan or you just need to choose an easier training plan.
1: Thanks for laying that out. I think that's really helpful, a good way for people to look at it. So once somebody has a training plan, often um, a workout would say run at an easy pace or run at a 10K pace, um, all of those paces. How does somebody establish what their particular pace is for any given race if they haven't either recently raced or maybe at all if they're training for their first 10k? How do they know what their 5k pace is?
0: Yeah, this is a tough one because usually we use a race performance to then estimate all of our other training paces. So if you've ever raced a 5k, we'll use your 5K finish time to then estimate your easy running pace, your 10K pace, tempo pace, all the other paces that we're going to use in a training plan. It does get difficult if you've never run a race because we don't have that that baseline information. You can use your uh, easy running pace. Now, this is admittedly a little bit more difficult if you're a beginner because if you're a beginner, you're just getting started, you know, a lot of your runs might feel a little challenging. And that's very normal. It goes away after a while. You know, you're going to get much more competent at running. But, you know, the formal paces of a training plan, they might not be as accurate for you as someone who is more highly trained. And so I might recommend a runner just use perceived effort. So, you know, easy pace. Well, that's just going to be easy. Just try to make it comfortable, controlled, conversational, and then, when you're doing a tempo run, you know, that's kind of comfortably hard or a moderately hard effort. 5k pace is a hard effort. Mile pace is a very hard effort. And you can use those paces to kind of establish this sliding scale of effort. And once you have a little bit of experience, you can start plugging in different pace ranges into those that sliding scale of effort. So You know, tempo pace, comfortably hard, you know, that might be like 8.15 to 8.30 a mile. 5k pace, that might be like 7.50 to 8 minutes a mile. And you'll have this nice little scale of gradually increasing paces where, you know, maybe, okay, my sprint speed is way on one end of the spectrum, then I have my mile race pace. That's a very hard effort. But now, once you've gotten that experience, you can actually put in paces there. So it is admittedly a little bit more challenging, but, uh, with some experience, it's going to get a lot easier for new runners. And I would recommend after about maybe a month or two of regular running, if you've been consistent for about, you know, let's just say six to eight weeks, let's run a 5k. Even if it's just a time trial or a virtual race, let's run a 5k or even a mile or two mile, any distance really to establish that baseline fitness level that you have because then you can base your training paces off of that performance and over time you just keep updating them based on you know what your racing performances were like so it is challenging but we can get through it with perceived effort in the beginning until we have some race uh, info or data in the future
1: You really helped me with this question when I was training for my last marathon, because my most current races were not only years ago, but they were also ultras. So they weren't actually representative. Um, And I think where you you started with me was even though my marathon time was, say, a decade ago, how, are you, how was I doing at that point of training? Had I gotten faster in general? Am I more comfortable? So um, any number I think is helpful. And with uh, somebody with experience, I think you can piece together um, the correct paces. And like you said, perceived Effort is a big one here, especially for beginners. And just on the logistics of this, as you're running, how often are you glancing at your watch to know the pace? I feel like I'm doing it quite a bit uh, myself. Yeah.
0: Yeah. How often am I looking at my watch in practice, or how often should I be looking at my watch? (laughs) Very different things. Yeah. I mean, like most runners, I probably look at my watch more than I should. Uh, I'm interested in my mile splits when I go out for a run, not only because, you know, I'm just a runner. I'm a running geek. I love the data. I love seeing that information. Uh, so I'm certainly looking at my watch, you know, every couple minutes just to just to kind of see where I'm at. But often the watch doesn't dictate what I'm doing. So the watch is telling me what I'm doing, but I'm going to do my own thing no matter what the watch says. And you know, whether or not you're running with a GPS watch or you just have a simple Timex, which has a special place in my heart because that was the first watch I ever used. And even up to a couple of years ago, I was wearing a $30 Timex watch because I really think you can get in almost all kinds of training with just that simple training tool. So, you know, I would encourage runners, maybe one run a week or two runs a week, just an easy run. Just turn your watch on, but then don't look at it at all. Do your typical three, four, five-mile loop, and then be done with it. And you can see what the data is afterward. And it just helps you not be so reliant on checking your watch all the time. Um, Now, Anya, I wanted to to get to an interesting question that has a lot of different pieces to it. Uh, We had a runner ask, with no race in sight, and I'm attempting to build my weekly distance, is it better to run five days a week or do some combo of run and cross train five days a week? So this really gets to the heart of, you know, how do you get better as a runner? Because you know, the racing and I've used this analogy before a race is sort of like a test. It is your chance to demonstrate your fitness, just like a test is your opportunity to demonstrate. If you know the material that you're being tested on. So, You don't actually get smarter taking the test, just like you don't get faster running the race. It's just an expression of what you already have, of what speed and fitness you already have. And so the way that we get better, the way that we improve and progress is to train more, to really focus on the things that make us better, running higher mileage, doing more consistent long runs, being smarter with our workouts, uh, having more mental toughness in workouts and races so that we get more out of them. And so, you know, this is not a question of either, or this is a question of, and is it better to run five days a week or do some cross training? It's better to run five days a week and do cross training on top of that, because what we're talking about now is just aerobic base building. You know, the more endurance oriented type of exercise that you do, the more fitness you're going to gain. Now, of course, I think if you're really, uh, injury prone, and you're you're always getting hurt, and you seem to be susceptible to injuries running five days a week, maybe it's a good idea to run four days a week, and then spend one or two extra days doing some cross training, like cycling, pool running, or the elliptical. I think that's great. But if the goal here is endurance, if you just want to build your distance, your aerobic capacity, your capacity for just running a lot, then the best thing to do is to run a lot. So uh, is it better to run five days a week or do a mix of cross training? I mean, you'll get in good shape doing both, but you should never expect to harvest carrots when you planted potatoes. Cross training can supplement your running, but it's certainly not going to make you into a good runner. Um, Anya, what kind of cross training have you used in, in your preparation for any races? Are you are you a big cross trainer? Because I know that that runners typically hate cross training, even though I'm a big fan, I think it can really do some good with increasing our fitness levels and helping us recover if used the right way.
1: I agree. I think cross training for me is particularly healthy mentally, because hammering a lot of miles out weeks on end can be emotionally kind of drain me. And so I find that cross training is really good on days when running is absolutely the last thing I want to do. But I'm a stickler to plans. And if it says, you know, I need uh, a recovery run, then I might take that in the pool when I have access to it. Um, I'm not swimming much. These days, I'm mountain biking quite a bit. So I think I'll People probably have access to some sort of activity that they enjoy. And sometimes that mental recovery is, uh, and variety and exercise is really important.
0: And I should add to that because this is a base season that we're talking about, you know, it's an off season, we're not formally training for a specific race, there's less pressure to be really adamant about doing everything properly and the right way, quote unquote. So if you do want to replace a running day with a cycling day or something like that, especially if the goal is, you know, the mental side of things, if you just want to stay fresh, if you want to stay motivated, then I think that's a great idea. You know, there's, there's just not as much demand for you to do more running, to do formal workouts, et cetera, during this time. So if you want to do some extra cross training and, and replace your running with that, then I think that's great for your mental health. And, you know, it's one of those things, too, where let's just stay in good shape so that next year, whenever, you know, we're, we're on the other end of this COVID situation and races are starting to happen again, you're in good shape so that you can take advantage of that, start training for a race and do really well at it. And so the last thing you want to do is, you know, t- take the next year off because, you know, there are no races uh, or run so little that it takes you a long time to get back into shape when races do start happening again. So I would very much encourage runners to run as much as you can uh, with regard to your injury history and how much you want to run, how much you're actually interested in running. But just know that the more running you do, the likelihood of you being a better runner is, is much higher.
1: And along those lines, if somebody is increasing their mileage, I found this question to be really interesting, asking about junk miles. Do junk miles exist, or is any pace good to increase fitness and performance? And if you could uh, start out by defining or helping explain what junk miles are for those newer to the running world.
0: Yeah, junk miles are, uh, that's an interesting term. Junk miles are typically described as extra mileage that you run that doesn't have a purpose, that is only going to serve to make you tired, that isn't formally part of, you know, a workout or a long run. It's just extra. So for example, you know, you might warm up two miles, get on the track, do six by 800 with a 400 meter jog recovery. And then your training plan says, and then cool down another two miles. Well, what if you cool down six miles? Is that necessary for the cool-down process? No. A lot of coaches might call that junk miles. It's just extra, you know, it's it's beyond what you need for a cool-down. But in this example, it's just, you know, it's just all this added volume. Now, full disclosure, I tend to not like the term junk miles, and I don't really believe in junk miles because, you know, I've been working with runners for over 10 years now, and I have yet to find a runner who is running junk miles. Most runners are not running enough. They're running 30 miles a week, 20, 30, 40 miles a week. And, you know, if you run more, you're going to get better. And so this idea of junk miles, I think, is is a little bit misguided because when we think about what activities make runners into better runners, one of the most important is running higher mileage. And so if if you're running less than 100 miles a week, I don't think you're really running any junk miles. And, you know, you have to be a fairly well-trained runner to, to start not getting benefit from running. So, you know, I really don't think that most runners have to worry about junk miles. Uh, now, the second part of this question is really interesting because it was, you know, did junk miles exist, or is any pace good to increase fitness and performance? So we're really talking about two different things, junk miles and the pace that you're running these, you know, miles at. So no, any pace is not good to increase fitness and performance. There's certainly uh, paces that are just way too fast, and there are certainly paces that are way too slow. So for example, Anya, if we go for a run together, and I wanted to run 14 minute miles, that might be difficult for you because it's just too slow. It's your body has trouble running at that pace. You know, unless we're at 11,000 feet altitude on a technical terrain, you know, maybe that's, you know, more likely inappropriate pace. But I just don't think that we should be thinking that any pace is going to increase our fitness. You know, this all comes down to, are you training properly? Are you having recovery runs at a very easy pace in your training plan? you have some runs that are just a moderate slash easy pace? And then do you have formal workouts where you're running at harder paces with appropriate recoveries? We certainly don't want to get out there and just try to run as hard as we can every day. That is a very good path to getting injured, and we certainly want to avoid it. Um, So yeah, this question was really interesting. I thought it did conflate the, the mileage and the pace a little bit, but if we are in the process of building our mileage. So, you know, if we abandon the idea of junk miles and say, okay, I'm running 30 miles a week, my project over the next three months is to get up to 40 miles a week, or maybe 45 miles a week, then all those extra miles should really be at an easy effort. So uh, we shouldn't think any pace is good for us, we should really make all those extra miles that we're adding to be very easy so that we're not just increasing the stress of our training too substantially in a short period of time.
1: One thing I learned from you that really resonates for me in all of my running is to keep easy paces easy and hard paces hard. And I know it seems really, really straightforward, but I think uh, a tendency might be that easy paces are kind of boring. So you step it up because you want to gain some fitness and hard paces are, you know, challenging. And if you're not training for a race, there might not be the motivation to really push yourself and beat your body up. So you end up settling into this moderate pace and that's exactly what um, you just highlighted. And so I think that's, uh in, in my mind, that's where... Junk miles and pace do overlap, um, just because if your pace settles at always moderate, are those then junk miles. And um, to your point, if the goal is to be building um, weekly mileage, then probably not. You should just be uh, more attentive to the purpose of each run and how you are pacing yourself, basically, to give every. Um, to give every workout value.
0: For sure. And I think it's a helpful mindset shift to, instead of saying, Oh, easy pace is boring, I want to gain more fitness, or I want to have more fun by running faster. Think of it as an opportunity to run, but maybe have a great conversation with a friend or, you know, it's an opportunity to go for a run and have it be easy, have it be not stressful so that you can You know, look at your neighborhood, take in the sights and sounds, go explore somewhere. It's this very low pressure type of uh, running that I think runners will grow to love once they get actually comfortable at running at that easy pace. And then let me speak for just for a second about hard workouts or a faster pace. When you're a beginner, I think it's really helpful to run fast fairly regularly, but I don't think it's beneficial to run really hard very frequently. And so there's a big difference between hard and fast. You can run fast and have it be pretty easy if you're not running for very long. So one thing that I love beginner runners to do, as well as every runner, but especially when you're a beginner, are strides. 100 meter accelerations, you're building to about 95% of your maximum speed. You hold that for about two seconds and then you coast to a stop. And so this is a fun way to play with speed in a way where you're not timing yourself, uh, you're not having any kind of expectations about pace. It's just a way for your body to get comfortable running pretty fast. And over time, you'll become a lot more coordinated, and uh, your running form will improve as well. And that'll make you into a better runner. Just easy strides, you know, a couple times a week.
1: I I second that. I encourage everybody to try them. I remember the first time I tried them was when you and I met at Washington Park and we did a little group run and practice some strides. And I I thought it was a lot of fun, but I didn't actually put them into practice until this most current uh, training for my last marathon. And I, it was my favorite part of of any run. It was just my favorite. It was the highlight. So I, I highly encourage everybody to give them a try. Um, and I think there's a lot to be gained from them, but they're just a lot of fun to move fast and be a kid and, um, not focus on the technical aspects and just enjoy it.
0: Yeah. I love them. I ran a bunch this morning before we recorded this episode. Um, so let's move on to another question. Uh, this one again is about kind of training structure. Um, the question is, I'm wanting to get back into running twice a week. How would you recommend doing this and increasing the intervals? I need to increase very slowly. So yeah, presumably this person is, uh, either injury prone or they simply haven't been running very consistently. And so, you know, they want to restart their running habit. Um, So I think if you're only going to run twice a week, we don't need to make this very complicated. We can start with, you know, maybe two 15 to 30 minute runs, depending on what you're comfortable with. And uh, at the beginning, let's keep the pace very reasonable, comfortable, controlled, conversational. And uh, you should probably increase the amount of time that you're running fairly slowly at first. You know, see how you feel after a week or two. You know, if you do two 20 minute runs, you know, is that something that you're comfortable with? You know, maybe the next week you can do two 25-minute runs. And so you can gradually increase by a couple minutes per run from week to week. Uh, But I do think it would probably be beneficial to, at a certain point, add in a third day of running so that instead of like two one-hour runs, you know, you might do three, uh, you know, 45-minute runs or something like that. And I think even though the second example is more running, it's going to be a lot easier because it's, you're spreading the stress out during the week. And I think that is um, a a better proposition for beginner runners. Because, you know, just think about it. If you want to run 20 miles in a week or, you know, about 32 kilometers, it'd be hard to do it all in one run if you're a beginner rather than spreading it out over a bunch of different runs. So we can certainly uh, stick with a -a two-day-a-week schedule. I think a minimum of three is preferred. And any walk interval that you might have in this kind of a run, um, you know, walk as needed. Don't try to run when, when your heart rate or your respiration rate's really high. Instead, just walk when it's needed. When your heart rate comes down, then you can start running a little bit again. And, you know, just see how you feel. See how your body responds. And you can gradually increase from there over time.
1: So for another question along those lines, um, what, when uh, would a runner know that they can increase their easy pace? We're back to paces again.
0: Yeah. So here's something where I have some very strong opinions on because easy pace is kind of this weird misnomer because it's not a pace. It's an effort. Easy runs should be at an easy effort. Some people can run that. That easy effort is seven minutes a mile. Some people need to run it 10 minutes a mile. No matter what the pace is, the effort must be easy. And so how do you know when to increase your easy pace? It's when you still go out there and try to run an easy effort. And then you look down at your watch and you're like, wow, I actually, I've been running a lot faster than usual. So in other words, it's not something that you actually try to do. You don't ever try to increase your easy run pace. It is simply a byproduct of your fitness level, and it will be whatever it is at an easy effort when you're running. So, you know, that's going to change. It's going to change the day after a long run when you're tired. It's going to change if you're running at five in the morning without any coffee and you're a little cranky. There's so many things that impact how you feel on a daily basis. So just focus on having the effort be easy, and you can update your other paces in your training plan. So for example, if you run a big PR, say in the 10K or any race really, then you've earned a faster, easy run pace. You can use a pace calculator. You'll put in your new PR, your personal best, and it'll give you a range of what your easy pace should be. And so if you're just focused on getting faster in race distances, then I think your easy pace will naturally come down over time. But we don't really measure running performance or or how fit you are or anything like that by your easy running pace. You know, there are elite uh, Eastern African runners who, you know, can run a marathon at 450 a mile, but they're running nine minute mile pace to start off their long runs. And so, you know, that's totally appropriate. You know, they're just getting warmed up and they're going to ease into a much faster pace over the course of that run but it is very instructive for the rest of us. Just start your runs at a very, very easy effort and see how you feel. Let the pace be what it is.
1: Thanks for uh, explaining that. It makes a lot of sense as far as focusing on the effort instead of pace. Um, I knew I'd learn a lot from this episode. Uh, So let's move on to fueling and nutrition. Um, this is a question a lot of my friends have asked, and i I offer my opinion, but i'd love to get your feedback too so for basics of hydration, um, when should somebody start carrying water with them, and how would they know if they need anything besides water? So you hear about needing sodium to replace sodium through in sweat and potassium. Um, and I know this was covered recently in a lot of detail in episode 147. But if you could give us a snapshot of that, it would be helpful.
0: Yeah. Episode 147 was with Andy Blow, and uh, it was the big hydration episode. I don't think I've ever learned so much about hydration in a single one hour conversation. But yeah, when, when we're talking about hydration, uh, if you're starting a run, in a hydrated state and you're not, um, you know, you're not dehydrated, just starting out, then you probably don't need to drink anything during a 75 to 90 minute run. But if the run is much longer than that, uh, especially if the weather is really hot, then, you know, you probably do want to take in some water. Um, but that, you know, kind of, kind of the 75, 90 minute mark is that threshold with, uh, hydration and anything shorter, you know, roughly, you you probably don't need anything. But anything longer, you probably do want to start carrying some fluids with you. Um, And then the second part of this question is, you know, anything besides water. Uh, Yeah, there are some people who either sweat a lot or people like me, I actually just had a sweat test done. Uh, I just found out that I have really salty sweat. I had no idea. And so uh, if you're like me or you sweat a lot or maybe you sweat a lot and you have super salty sweat, you know, now we have to start talking about supplementing with some electrolytes, especially if that run is going to be longer than 90 minutes, or let's say you're just running a race. Maybe you're running a a 10 mile race and you think it might take you 80 minutes. Um, you know, even though though that's less than 90 minutes, it's a race. So your effort's going to be a lot higher and the demands on your body are going to be higher. So I think supplementing with some electrolytes then is a good idea. Um, you can do a very simple sweat rate test and weigh yourself before and after a run to see you know, how much fluid you lose. So if you go run for an hour, you know that's your hourly sweat loss. If you only go run for half an hour, you, know, you can double it and then see what you'll lose in an hour. And, and that's really helpful in determining how much water you should be drinking. Uh, you don't necessarily have to replace all of the water that you've lost. But, you know, getting maybe halfway there by the end of the run is a good idea so that you can then rehydrate completely afterward. But yeah, I would definitely recommend runners go to episode 147 of the podcast because that is a tour de force of hydration knowledge from the CEO of Precision Hydration, who has some both academic background in the topic, but also just personal experience as a triathlete who just had terrible performance problems because he sweat a lot and it was very salty. So he really needed to figure out his hydration problems and get those under control for his performances. So that episode is going to be really helpful. Um, and then we, let's talk about what to eat before and after a run. And, uh, Anya, I want you to answer this one because I don't know if I have a good answer. It's very much uh, individual and depending on, you know, what you prefer.
1: Absolutely. I think, as you gradually build in your running, you learn um, what your body needs. So for example, if you woke up, didn't eat or drink anything, went out for three miles, and as that run becomes longer and longer, you'll know when it's time to have something beforehand. Alternatively, if you just ate lunch and went for a run and you don't feel good, um, that's just data to inform you for the future. So I I think it comes in practice. I have my preferences um, for lots of carbohydrates, uh, but I know people really vary about running on an empty stomach or not. And I know you have a lot of helpful resources um, and private podcasts around this as well.
0: Yeah, I did just do a nutrition Q&A episode with a registered dietitian. And we talked a lot about Uh, pre and post run fueling. And also, you know, what you eat during a run. So, you know, if you're going on a a longer run, you know, when do you eat? What can you eat? At what interval should you eat? So there's a there's a lot of information in that episode with the registered dietitian. And let me actually just see what the episode number is. So if folks want to look at it, uh, it's episode 156. So that's a great one for uh, some general nutrition Uh, Q&A. Again, I'm a simple guy. I like to have a banana and a cup of coffee before a run. And then after a run, I like to have a full meal, you know, maybe I'll have some sort of electrolyte drink afterward. Part of that is because I have very salty sweat. Part of that is just because I like the taste and it makes me drink more water. So uh, I, I would just encourage runners to find a simple food that they like, that agrees with their stomach, that they can eat consistently and sustainably. And that's probably something good to eat. You definitely want to avoid a lot of protein and fat before you go running. You can save that for after the run and favor a combination of simple and complex carbohydrates. I think that's a good approach.
1: Would you be able to run right after a full lunch or dinner meal?
0: Uh, not me. I definitely have friends who can do that, but, uh, no, I need at least, I'm like a three to four hour, uh, kind of a guy. I need to wait at least three hours after say lunch. And then I I don't think I'd ever run after dinner. I just, I probably eat too much.
1: (laughs) So with nutrition, this was another, it was a pretty funny question to me. My close friend that I was training for Paris marathon with um, she was doing her, this was her going to be her first marathon and she uh, went on a long run i believe it was maybe 10 12 miles and she threw up afterwards and said that her trainer her gym trainer told her that she should really be eating during the run and she asked if she should carry protein bars with her and i thought it was um, kind of funny and endearing because to us who are much more um, research this and are have gone through this stage it uh, does not make sense to necessarily eat protein bars on a 10 mile run but what what do you suggest and at what distance should a runner or time interval should a runner consider carrying food with them?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, and (laughs) we certainly don't want to be eating a bunch of protein uh, when they're out there on a run. Um, Protein's great at repairing muscles and building muscle, but it's it's not really a fuel, and that's what we want when we're out there running. So I think on a you know if you're out there for ninety minutes or more, like maybe you want to have a gel or equivalent, you know, so roughly uh, a small ninety to one hundred calorie type of food that is mostly carbohydrate um, and has, you know, maybe 20, 25 grams of carbohydrate uh, for that 100 calorie snack. So it works out really well if you want to do gels. There's lots of other things on the market. You could go um, dates if you wanted a more natural alternative, uh, if you wanted to eat real food. But I think that 90 minute mark is going to be really important for Uh, performance, and making sure that your recovery is as good as it can be. Because if you finish a run and you don't fuel, you might be able to finish well and, and actually feel decent. But you're in such a calorie hole. And, you know, to dig yourself out of that hole, you just have to eat a lot. And sometimes after those longer runs, your stomach feels a little unsettled, You can't eat a ton right afterwards. And so starting to fuel during the run is a great way to jumpstart that recovery process as well.
1: And in the show notes for this podcast, we'll link to a lot of helpful resources if people want to get into more details. And so moving on to other types of questions, more around performance, Uh, this is a question I actually had a lot of people asking me after I had knee surgery um, that you can't run anymore, right? And I didn't know if that was the case. It didn't turn out to be true for me, of course. Um, But how can people make sure that they don't ruin their knees with uh, running and training in general?
0: So, this is going to be an easy one. Let's first start with a simple truth that running does not ruin your knees. In fact, running can be quite protective from osteoarthritis, which is something I learned recently. And if you're, hesitant about starting to run because you're worried about your knee health you don't really have to you know the the knee is meant to be used just the way it is used when you're out there running so i think the number one way to protect your knees when you're running is you know the same strategy you use to protect your achilles tendon or your it band or your plantar fascia or any potential body part that you could hurt when you're running it's number one train appropriately Don't run too much before you're ready for it, don't run too fast before you're ready for it, and don't run too frequently before you're ready for it. If you can avoid those three twos, then you're probably going to avoid most major injuries. Now, the second injury prevention puzzle piece here that we need is strength training. And especially for knee health, it's really important. So uh, runner-specific strength work I think is fantastic. On the strength running blog, uh, a couple routines that you should check out uh, the cannon core workout, the ITB rehab routine, the standard core routine, the tomahawk medicine ball workout. Four great routines that are going to help you keep your knees and everything else healthy as you go running. And the strength training is really like armor it is armor that protects you from the impact forces of running. So, you know, every time you go for a run, every step that you take is just a ton of force being, uh, put through your body from the ground, from all that impact. And, you know, a lot of people don't think running is a contact sport. They're like, well, you're not getting tackled out there. No, of course not. But it is a contact sport. It's you versus the ground. And every mile that you run, you are going to take thousands of steps that increase the impact forces that your body experiences. So strength training is one of the best ways to mitigate those impact forces. Um, So as long as your training is structured well, as long as you're doing good strength training, and let's also just remember that, you know, running is actually good for your knees. So let's just structure our training right, do some strength work, and you'll likely have healthy knees for a long time.
1: That's enlightening to me. I I knew that my knees are fine after surgery and running, but... I am glad to hear that it's actually really good for us. Um, So hopefully that helps relieve anyone else's concerns. And moving on to heart rate, there are a couple of questions. I'll just throw them all out there and you can uh, cover them as you wish. So what should somebody's uh, heart rate be at different paces? Um, How can they understand what their max heart rate is and in general, is heart rate something that we should be paying attention to?
0: So let me start with the last part. I don't really think it's probably a good idea to worry about heart rate when you're uh, a new runner, because your heart rate is going to be more variable. And when you're a more highly trained runner, when you have a lot more experience, when you run a much wider variety of workouts and your body can operate at a whole different variety of speeds, then, you know, you're more of a highly tuned machine where, you know, there's a big difference between, you know, a a certain pace and effort and heart rate level and something that's only a little bit slower or a little bit faster. You know, those slight differences, you know, might be completely, uh, uh, Un, unnoticeable to the average runner, but for the highly trained runner, they can dial it in and they can understand those paces and those heart rates. So I just think heart rate is less meaningful for beginner runners. And so I'd encourage beginners not to really worry about it too much. In fact, a lot of their early runs might have a high heart rate. That doesn't mean that you're running too fast, it just means you need to do a lot more easy running and, and maybe even some extra walking to help you build some of that aerobic fitness so that your heart rate will stay at a you know more reasonable level when you're out there running. Now, if you are slightly more experienced and you do have a heart rate monitor and you want to start using it a little bit, um there's a couple workouts that I think lend themselves really well to heart rate training. Number one is your recovery runs, the slowest run that you do all week. Um That's a good workout to use a heart rate monitor because the heart rate monitor keeps you honest. It keeps you from running too fast. And so, you know, you'll have a certain range of heart rate where you're like, all right, I want to keep my heart rate under say 130 beats a minute. And you know that if you're going too hard, you simply have to slow down. So it's a nice, almost like a speed governor that you can use for yourself on those recovery days. Another great workout is the uh, tempo run. Now, tempo run is one of those workouts that is a little bit more of a physiological type of a workout rather than, say, a race-oriented workout. So, you know, you get on the track and do six by 800 at your 5K pace. Now, 5K pace is your PR pace for the 5K. But tempo pace is very different. It's more like, you know, that point in intensity when you're running hard that, and I don't get too geeky on the science here, but it's like you're getting all these exercise byproducts and it's the point at which you can actually clear them from your bloodstream before they start accumulating. And so that is much more dependent upon what's going on in your body. And that's usually about 85 to 90% of your maximum heart rate. And that's a good workout to use a heart rate monitor because you can stay within that range. Now, all this talk about heart rate, it's kind of, it all goes out the window if we don't have a good baseline. And the baseline is your max heart rate. The only way to get a good maximum heart rate reading is not to use the old 220 minus your age. It's instead to wear your heart rate monitor for a maximum effort. So that could mean a really, really hard workout, but the best thing is probably a race. You know, Strap it on for a 5k run your heart out, close hard, sprint to the finish, whatever the maximum reading is for that race is likely what your max heart rate is. And then you can use that baseline to get that 85-90% of, you know, your uh, maximum for your tempo runs. Then you can also do uh, the same for your recovery runs. You know, maybe your heart rate should be 60 or 65% of your maximum at that point. So you know, I think there's there's certainly a place for heart rate monitors, less of a place for beginners, but certainly for certain types of runs.
1: Do you focus at all on aerobic versus anaerobic zones, or are those the details you didn't want to get into? <laughs>
0: um, so I certainly pay attention to aerobic running versus anaerobic running, but I, I don't really think about zones you know, zone one, zone two, zone three, I think that's much more popular for um, cyclists, triathletes, and and some ultra runners, you know, when they're out there for such a long period of time, and, and those zones become more appropriate. But, you know, running is more of a pace sport than uh, a zone of heart rate sport, you know, we're much more interested in, in our speed or pace. So, uh, no, I don't really pay attention too much to zones. Uh, and, and the other thing about zones, too, is it kind of gives you this false idea that there are zones like, oh, I'm going to train this zone today and I'm going to train this other zone tomorrow when there's so much overlap between the zones and different types of workouts can stress multiple zones at once. And so it kind of gives you this idea that you can only focus on certain things at a time when that's not the case. So I I try not to use zones. I don't think they're as appropriate for runners. Um, and instead just focus on pace.
1: Let's move on to um, some other questions that deal more with the mental aspects of running. I think we covered a lot of great things about the technical logistics, pacing, and everything. But um, for mental aspects, I think as runners uh, get their consistency down, this is what they start running into. These are the challenges they start running into. So one question was, how do you pass time during longer runs? I always get bored.
0: <laughs> I don't know. What do you do, on
1: <laughs> um, I Let's see. It depends. I sometimes will listen to podcasts or audiobooks. That's the most... Current thing I do. I used to listen to music, but my long runs have gotten really long, hours long, and music just doesn't do it for me anymore. I prefer that pump you get from um, music more for harder workouts or even beforehand. Um, Otherwise, I think a lot of what helps me is kind of the scenery. Doing trail runs is much more interesting. Your foot placement is varied and that helps me pass the time.
0: Yeah, I feel very similar to that. Um, You know, I I love running, so I don't really get too bored when I'm out there at all. So, you know, needless to say, of course, I certainly get bored sometimes. And, you know, I feel similar to you. I like music for shorter runs. um, uh, But with longer runs, I'm much more interested in like a long format podcast or something like that, where I can Just lose myself in a great conversation or something like that. But I think the location where you're running has a big uh, impact on this. And where I live in Denver, you know, I run a lot in the city's parks and I'm getting a little bored of the parks. (laughs) But when I go out into the mountains and I do some trail running, you know, running an hour and a half out in the mountains is so much easier than running 45 minutes here in the city just because of the views and the gorgeous scenery that's all around you, you just get lost in exploring the trail and, of course, making sure that you don't fall flat on your face (laughs) because of the the rocks and roots out there on the trails. So yeah, I would use music, podcasts, audiobooks for some of your runs. I would try to run to uh, two cool places to check out. Maybe you explore a little bit, and then also just do some trail running so that you can Get out into nature. And I think it's much easier to pass the time in those kind of environments.
1: The, this question actually came from my sister. And I know that she happens to run the exact same run every time she goes out. There's a park next to her house. Um, and one thing I I did years ago that I was surprised what a difference it made was running the same loop, but a different direction. Um, even that much just kind of made it a new run. Of course, that only lasted a few weeks before um, that scenery was no longer interesting and exciting. But uh, just a little tip for somebody to try out in case they're in the same position of running the same laps the same way every time.
0: Yeah, I do that sometimes too. Like I usually I have this seven mile loop that I always run the same way. Running it the opposite way is is almost scandalous in my mind. And it, it does it's almost like a Like I'm going on vacation, I'm doing something risque, I'm doing something so out of the normal, out of the ordinary. And yeah, it's almost exciting to do a certain loop that you do the other way. It sounds ridiculous saying that, but it it does lighten that mental load a little bit. Um, Anya, what motivates you to be consistent with running? Because I know for me, this is an easy answer. When I started running, I was motivated to be consistent because I wanted to run fast. I was so singularly driven by this desire to continue to post personal bests that I never really had any problems being too consistent. Um, But then you know it's a little different now. Now I run because I do just like it. I love it. I like to run. Uh, Of course I'm not as consistent as I used to be because I'm not running 90 miles a week anymore. But for me it's general health. It's setting a good example for my kids and it's simply getting in touch with me feeling like a kid, you know, running strides or getting out into the mountains to do a trail run is just fun for me. So I want to always be in the position where I can go do a longer trail run in the mountains, or I can get on the track and, you know, run a couple 400 meter reps really fast, because I find that that's fun. So for me, it's just, you know, initially, it was speed. But now I'm just having fun setting a good example and thinking about my health.
1: For me, it was never really speed just because I uh, didn't perform well in that realm. Uh, Pushing distance was a big motivator for me. um, Getting into uh, half marathons, marathons and ultras really motivated me for a decade to keep running and staying relatively consistent. And these days, it's a lot of um, mental health, actually, just getting out of the house, getting away from... um, the the day-to-day things and getting some fresh air, listening to, like we said, uh, interesting podcasts or audiobooks, it's a treat for me, really. So that's the time that mostly I'm by myself and getting to enjoy, hopefully, fresh air, usually. Um, we have a lot of smoke these days. That's why I bring that up. Um, yeah, so I, I think it varies, but it's important for people to who are wondering this to, um, take that introspective view and see what, why are you running? Understand what motivates you to keep going? Why do you want to be consistent? What are you working towards? And kind of keeping that in mind. And, uh, the next question follows really nicely is, um, I, I think people who aren't consistent with running are probably not enjoying it. It's, um, they're, they dread it. And so the question says, do all runners besides me love running? <laughs>
0: um, I think, I think most runners have a love hate relationship with the sport at a certain level. You know, I think it's way more love than hate, of course, but, you know, we don't always want to get up early to go do a workout. And I think, you know, one of the things that separates the runners who are training a lot, posting impressive times And really excelling at the sport is that they're not—I mean, they love running, yes—but working hard at anything is hard, even if you do love it. And I think the big difference is that they don't rely on their unbridled love for the sport or motivation or inspiration. They're just disciplined. They know that they have a goal. They—they're working hard towards that goal, and they just show up every day to get closer to that goal you know, it's sort of like having a job. Um, you know, do you say, uh, how do you, how do you stay motivated to go to work every day? It's like, well, I have to go to work or else I won't make any money. And then, you know, I'll get evicted and etc. etc. You know, if you have a running goal, you're like, well, if I don't do the training, then I'm not going to be fast. I'm not going to be able to finish that race. I'm not going to do the thing that I really want to do. And so you have a self-interest in being consistent if you have a clear goal ahead of you. And Anya, you mentioned finding your why, and really thinking about, you know, why are you running? What is the thing that lights you up inside? And I think, um, you know, this is a really valuable exercise. And, you know, honestly, if you had, you know, shown me, if you had had me listen to a recording of this episode, five or 10 years ago, I might have rolled my eyes when, you know, talking about finding your why. But it's so powerful for the consistency aspect—it's so powerful for giving you the drive to work really hard because it is just hard. It's hard to work hard, and uh, you know that is something that we all have to just recognize. And you know, if anybody is struggling with kind of these mental aspects of the sport, they can't find the motivation. They always seem to lose consistency. Um, Anya, we work together on our mindset mastery program, and. There's, uh, there's an email course you can sign up for at strength slash brain, because the brain is just as important as the body when it comes to our running. So there's a great email course there. You can get an email a day all about, uh, the mindset traps that we might fall into as runners, the kinds of mental exercises that give us the confidence, the focus, the mental toughness to have a better relationship with our running, because that really does make us into better runners. So, you know, if you're struggling because you don't really love running or you're just finding you're dreading it more often than not, uh, I think your mental relationship to the sport is perhaps a, a big reason why. But then there's also just the consistency part of it as well. You know, if you're not running consistently, running is always going to be hard. And, and I think if it was always hard, I'd probably dread it a lot more often than not too. But the more consistent you are, the easier running gets.
1: And another question uh, that I was wondering about is do all runners get runners high? What is called runners high? Um, Because I I wonder if that's also what keeps them consistent because they have this moment of absolutely like euphoria, basically.
0: Yeah, you're a little blissed out after a good run. Yeah, I think it does happen to every runner and it actually is harder to happen to highly trained runners, because the runner's high is just kind of this, you know, hormonal euphoria that you get after a hard effort. And when you're a a trained runner, your body kind of adapts to that hormonal response to hard workouts and long runs and races. And, you know, it's a little bit harder to get, you know, you're, you're chasing a high that you have experienced so many times. Just like if you were a drug addict and chasing a drug high, you know, you have to do more and more of the drug. Same thing with running, you have to run more, you have to run harder and faster. And you have to just do it, uh, you know, at a higher intensity level to get that same runner's high. Um, But you know, I would also say that, like, look, this is not like going to a dispensary here in Colorado, and getting some, some of Colorado's finest, this is not that kind of a high, you know, you, you might just be feeling good for five or 10 minutes after a run. And if you kind of sit down afterwards, and you allow yourself to relax and really feel what you're feeling, then you probably will notice it. But it's it's really only going to be there for, for some of the longer runs, the harder runs, or maybe a race where, you know, you're really putting yourself into a very fatigued state. Uh, and, and that's definitely when you'll experience it.
1: For runners who may be wondering if they have or not, I think one thing, uh, as you mentioned is taking, uh, giving yourself a little bit of space between the run and the very next activity that you probably have scheduled immediately afterwards. And maybe that means, you know, you're back at your house, um, walk around or sit down on a step and, take a deep breath and just let let the feeling sink in. Um, it can only take a minute. It doesn't have to be long, but I think that helps for people to um, identify that experience, that elevated feeling after a run.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. You have to actually let yourself experience it where you know, if you finish your run and then you're immediately in the shower trying to get ready for work, you're probably just not really even noticing that you have a nice little runner's high going on. Because again, it's not super strong and you kind of have to let yourself sit and just relax. Uh, I know for me, I think it was a couple weeks ago, I had a great little runner's high moment. It was a hot day. I went out and I did a, a, a short workout. It wasn't super hard, but because of the heat, I was just really struggling. And so the run itself was not very fun, but I finished the run. I kind of sat on a chair on my front porch and just collected myself for a few minutes after the run. And I realized it was like, hey, I I have a nice little runner's high going on right now. And it was great. But, you know, I had to have almost a bad run for the runner's high because you have to experience a lot of stress for it. So, you know, there's uh, a certain amount of suffering you have to endure to experience that runner's high. But, you know, if you're doing long runs and workouts, then I have no doubt you'll probably experience it as well. Um, Anya. This has been a long episode, but we have just reached all of our questions that we had today. Uh, you didn't compile any more while we were chatting here, did you?
1: No, I sprinkled them throughout as more came up. So I think we addressed all of them.
0: All right. Well, for the new runners, the beginning runners, I hope this episode was helpful. This was just kind of a tour de force of beginner Q&A, and uh, that Link you can go to at Strength Running. I think it's strengthrunning.com slash new. There are two bonus podcast episodes that you can download that have even more beginner Q&A. So if you want even more topics and different questions, there's a lot more where this came from at strengthrunning.com slash new. Anya, thank you so much for helping me with this episode. Um, Is there anything that we didn't cover that beginner runners might want to know that we might've missed?
1: I don't know what we may have missed, but we'd love to get some comments and feedback on your Instagram or your Twitter or the podcast page as well. If there are any remaining questions and a good collection of them, we can definitely revisit or uh, structure the podcast a little bit differently and maybe focus on the mental aspects or the logistics of running a little bit more.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. This is a a community episode of the podcast. So if you'd like to see another one like this, keep the questions coming, reach out to me, Instagram, you can email me at support at strengthrunning.com. And we'll just have another episode of Q&A for you. So Anya, thanks again for helping me out with this.
1: Thank you, Jason.
0: And there we have it. Those are almost 20 questions and our answers for beginner runners. I'd love to hear from you too. If you enjoy this format of show, please let me know and I'll do more of them. Also, don't miss our other resources for new runners at strengthrunning.com new. Finally, a big thanks to our longtime partner, Path Projects, for making this show possible. My goal as a podcast publisher is to find companies that align with our values of quality. And I'm so grateful to Path Projects for their support over the last couple months. And I'm not just someone who's paid to say that. I own so much of their gear and it's rare that I'm not wearing a single path item on any given day. Their stuff is just so comfortable. I recently got another two baseliners because you can never have too many pairs of baseliners, two more t-shirts and another pair of the Sykes five inch shorts. They're kind of like my unofficial weekend uniform. They work for errands, chores, hikes, playing with the kids, yard work, you name it. So if you're in the market for new shorts, baseliners, or running shirts, I highly recommend Path Projects. You've probably noticed that I'm wearing a lot of their gear in most of my latest YouTube videos. It's that good that I wear their stuff whenever it's clean. And now that we've been partnered for months, I can confidently tell you that their gear is really durable. The shorts that I wear probably two or three times a week look amazing with no visible signs of wear after all these months. Now they... Probably uh, are able to accomplish this because of this cool Japanese fiber that they use in their gear called Torre Prime Flex. It's super strong, it's light, and it's durable. And what I love about the company, too, is that because they're online only and they don't have any retailer markup, you can't go in a store and buy Path Projects gear, their stuff is actually quite affordable. So I can't say enough good things about this company. I hope you'll see what they're all about at pathprojects.com. That's it for our show today. Thank you so much for being here, for listening, for sharing this episode, for leaving a review and just spending some time with me today. We'll be in touch soon.